Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm, I'm a new day rising edition as I discuss the Bengals' key offseason storylines with the great Greg Cosell from NFL Films. What will a Joe Burrow contract extension mean to the overall roster? Which of the starting defensive free agents does Greg think it's most important to re-sign? We'll cover those topics and many more. Then, it's the second edition of our NFL expert mock draft as Pete Prisco from CBS Sports takes his turn on the Pro Football Focus Mock Simulator. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Syracuse basketball coach Jim Beheim. After 47 years as the head coach at his and my alma mater, Jim Beheim's Hall of Fame career ended on Wednesday with a loss to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament. My freshman year at the Cuse was his sixth year as the head coach. The Carrier Dome and the Big East were basically new, and between my four years as a student and Ted years working in Syracuse in radio and TV, I covered Coach Beheim and his teams very closely. We had a few run-ins when he objected to my questions, but by and large, it was a joy to cover his teams with stars like Pearl Washington, Derek Coleman, and Sherman Douglas, and I learned a ton about basketball from watching Coach Beheim's practices and hosting his weekly radio show. Additionally, I golfed with him. We were partners in a two-on-two match. Imagine missing a three-footer for par to lose a hole and hearing, how does your husband putt? in that Jim Beheim voice. Then, there was the time I coached against him. When I was a TV sportscaster in Syracuse, I did a weekly segment called Dare Dan, where I competed against viewers in their sport, game, or adventure of choice. There were normal challenges like tennis and wiffle ball, but I also competed against a dog at catching frisbees, I won, and took on 27 residents of a senior citizen's home in Simon Says. I lost three elderly ladies outlasted me. The segment became quite popular, and before leaving town to move to Cincinnati, I wanted the final Dare Dan challenge to be memorable. So, I set up a basketball game where I coached a team of elementary school girls against a squad coached by Jim Beheim. If you would like to see how it turned out, or just see what I looked like with hair, you can find the segment on YouTube. Just search for Jim Beheim Dare Dan. It's the first video that will pop up. Now, let's get to football. Last week at the NFL Combine, I had the opportunity to sit down for an extended interview with my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films and the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN. For my money, there's nobody better at studying the coach's tape and making a complex game a little bit easier to understand. Before we get to that conversation... Here's a quick reminder that the Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Now, here's Greg Cosell. 
Greg, you have been kind enough over the years to share some of your draft prospect evaluations with me, and I love it. I always save them and look back, and it's always really revealing for me. I'm interested to know, how many guys do you grade going into a draft, and, and who do you choose that's a great question, and I don't really grade in the way some people do. You know, I don't I don't work for a team, so I don't have a, a grading chart. I just like the process of evaluating players. So when I watch a player, obviously you always start with their traits and their attributes and their characteristics, and then I think in terms of deployment within the NFL, because ultimately that, Dan, is what the process is. You're looking to transition and project players to the league. Um, some guys' traits are obvious, where pretty much anybody can see the traits. Other guys' traits are not as obvious, but that doesn't mean they can't play. You know, I went through a whole learning curve when I started watching college players years and years ago. I got caught up in, hey, he's either great or he can't play. And then I realized I was wrong. A lot of guys play, and particularly on defense, as you know, you know, there's so many sub-packages. Teams could play 17, 18, 19 guys on defense every single week, and a guy could play 12 snaps, but those are 12 really important snaps. And, you know, he may not be an all-pro, he may not be a Hall of Famer, but he's going to play in the league for 10 years and be an important part of a defense. And so I had to really learn the process of evaluating players because there's not many and there's very few, quite honestly, transcendent players in any draft where you just say, that guy's great. He can do anything. He can play in any system. You know, put him out there. He's great. So, uh, but the way I actually start is guys who do this all year round, the Dane Bruglers of the world, people like that. I, I start with, you know, Daniel Jeremiah. I kind of look at their lists. And then when the combine comes out, and, and unfortunately, because I'm a one-man scouting service, I can't do 400 guys. But then when the combine list comes out, I try to work off that as well. But that's kind of how I do it. And um, it gets very frustrating, Dan, because I want to do so many more guys, but, you know, I'm only one person and there's so many, only so many hours in the day. And defensive guys are the toughest from a process standpoint because you have to watch full games for defensive guys because you have to see the plays, you know, that they don't make. You know, particularly, let's say, corners or safeties. You know, you can watch a safety in college football who's a back-end safety, and you can go through a whole game, and he really doesn't do a lot depending on the offense in which he's playing against. So you have to just sit and grind and watch full games. And because of where I work, NFL Films, I have access to all the coaching tapes, so I'm seeing the coaching tape. But it, 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 it's a process, and it takes time. I always run into you in Indianapolis at the Combine every year, and obviously you're here, you're, you're studying the players, you're listening to the interviews, you're seeing how they do in the various uh, tests. But you also shared uh, with me that you met with uh, some friends uh, on an NFL coaching staff right. yesterday. Is the Combine important for you in terms of interacting with important people around the league? You know, I think that's the way I learned, Dan. You know, I'm a big believer that you never stop learning. You know, I think most people who know my work would say, you know, I'm pretty good at it. But I always feel that there's so many things I don't know that I want to keep learning. I, I, you know, I, I view this because I didn't play football. I grew up in Queens in New York. I played basketball and baseball. My high school did not have a football team. So I had to learn football when we started with the coaching tape in NFL Films in 1992. And to me, it's more of an intellectual and academic exercise. And I feel... You always have to keep learning. And there are certain positions, like offensive line. I don't fancy myself as an offensive line guru by any means. And what I love trying to find out from coaches is things when I watch tape, what, what do they see as coachable, what's not coachable? Because I don't know the answer to that right off the top of my head. You know, I've been fortunate in my career to, to, to be around, you know, 
great quarterback people. I learned the quarterback position from Bill Walsh. So, you know, that was a pretty good starting point for me. But offensive line, you know, I try to find out from coaches, hey, how do they go about evaluating? What can they coach? You know, if a guy has a certain flaw, they may say to me, oh, I can correct that in two weeks. You know, I need to learn and understand all that. I want to learn more about, you know, even with NFL material, not just college guys, I want to learn more about how offenses are installed and how they're put in and what they ask quarterbacks to do, how they ask them to go through reading progressions. You know, is some teams have, hey, if, if here's his own, our zone routes are on this side of the, the offense and our man routes are on the other side. Some teams don't do it that way. I just try to keep learning more and more because then when I go back and watch tape, I have a greater foundation of knowledge. We're visiting with Greg Cosell from NFL Films and the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN. I think you were one of the first to really study the tape and then communicate your observations to those of us who are you know, always trying to learn more about football. Now there seems to be a big industry. Yes. Do these guys that are coming up and, and doing it kind of you know, approach you and say, hey, <laughs> you know, you're the godfather. Thank you for kind of creating this, this path. You know, I, I'm... It's funny you say that. I'm not very good about talking about myself. Even when I played sports, I was one of those guys that just showed up and, and you know played. You know, I didn't. It wasn't a look at me thing. But no, that that does happen. You know, people come to me and say you're the OG. You know, you, you know, and and you know, in some ways, I appreciate that. Look, the the reality is, and Peter King actually came up to me a few years ago. It was the year before the pandemic. We were both at Eagles training camp on the same day. And he said, you know, basically said, do you realize that you started an entire industry, an entire genre? And, you know, I don't, I don't think of it that way. But, you know, we started with the matchup show in the mid-'80s, and it's been on every year since. And obviously at that time, um, people said, oh, no one's going to care about football like that. And fortunately, thanks to Steve Sable, who was my mentor and my boss, you know, we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'm sure if I look back at some of those early shows, I probably have a combination of cringing and laughing, you know. But, but you know, we, we were fortunately able to stay with it, and it's grown and grown and grown. And now but fans want this. This is what people crave. Because you can look at – you can grab your phone and find stats now. You know, obviously 30 years ago you couldn't do that because phones didn't exist. But now you can find any stat you want in a heartbeat. But you still can't see breakdowns. Of footage and more and more people are doing it obviously as in any industry some do it better than others um, but yeah I guess maybe I, I did start something you know I don't like I said I don't wake up every morning and say man I, I started something and that's great I just go do my job but you know when people bring it to my attention as you just did I guess that's probably true because we start the first year of the matchup show was 1984 first and still the best in my opinion let's hit on some Bengals topics the biggest offseason story in Cincinnati is Joe Burrow's contract he's likely to make more than 50 million dollars a year when they get this done how much does that change roster construction for Cincinnati well I think it always changes it a little bit we know that the salary cap has, has gone up significantly um, it doesn't appear as if it would be going down at any time soon based on uh, the popularity of the NFL which is good for all of us um, but then you do have some decisions to make. Obviously, Joe Burrow is going to get signed, and more than likely he's going to get signed at maybe more than any other quarterback's been signed for. And you know what? That's just the way it is. You're not letting him walk. You're not trying to get into a contentious relationship with Joe Burrow and his agents. He's a great, great quarterback. I mean, I remember that was the, you know, the year I gave you my report on Joe Burrow, and it you know, pretty much played out that way. And, you know, it's fascinating just talking about Burrow and other quarterbacks in the draft. And I don't know if you, if you and I have had this conversation before, but, you know, now we hear so many 
draft analysts say, well, he's got great traits. And, and, and they say that about a player because he can throw it hard and run fast. And to me, that's not what makes that, – those are not great quarterback traits. I look at Joe Burrow, and I'm sure if you went back and looked at my report, you'd see what I did. Um, other than being a power thrower, to me, Joe Burrow has quarterback traits. Because quarterback to me and, – and like I said, I was fortunate to learn from the Bill Walshers of the world – Quarterback to me is a refined, nuanced, subtle, disciplined craft position. It's not who can throw it the hardest and who can run the fastest. Look, if you really have all those subtle and refined traits and you got a big arm, that's great. And in fact, I'll give you a great example of a guy you'll remember very well because it's Cincinnati. Carson Palmer was like that. He had the subtle traits, but he also had the big arm. Troy Aikman was like that. There's not many guys who have who are power throwers and have refined traits. Um, Joe Burrow has all the refined traits you want, both physically and mentally. The only thing he's probably lacking, but it's not a major lack, would be a power arm. But that, to me, he has quarterback traits. You know, and, and that's, to me, the reason he's such a great, great player. He sees things. You know, Burrow really plays the game before the snap of the ball. And I think you have to reach that point. Can you be a great quarterback without doing that? To some degree. Like, for instance, I think Josh Allen is still learning that to some degree. But he's so physically gifted that he can do things other guys can't. Joe Burrow sees the game before the snap of the ball. And he just validates and confirms. And that's why he can play with such a refined sense of timing and rhythm. The ball comes out. He knows where to go. He's not figuring out the defense on his drop. He sees it. He knows it. And you know this, you know, probably better than I do. You're around him. But, you know, watching tape, that's, to me, those are high, high high-level quarterback traits. Is there anything about Burrow that's even better than you thought it would be? You know, I would probably say no. And, 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 And not that, hey, I'm smarter than anybody else, but I just thought Burrow was one of those guys that really, like even the next year when Trevor Lawrence came out and people talked about him as a generational quarterback, I thought Joe Burrow coming out was a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. And and actually, I've spoken to some coaches who agree as well. So, no, Burrow is... Burrow is no surprise to me. Maybe the only thing, and it, but it's not really a surprise, is his ability to make some plays with his legs. I knew he had really good pocket movement, but you, we've seen him when it's third and seven, he can run for nine and get a first down, no problem. You know, he's not going to run for 35. You know, he's not he's not Mahomes in that sense, but he, he does have a, a feel for, hey, when when I have to get nine when it's third and seven or third and eight. So Duke Tobin made news early this week, at least in Cincinnati, when he squashed rumors that the Bengals were considering peddling T. Higgins because of you know his contract right. situation. What do you think of T? I really like T. Higgins. I loved him when he came out of Clemson. Um, you know, it's so funny. We get caught up again with receivers in, in 40 times, and I think he ran a 4.57 or a 4.58, but he's 6'3", 216. And one thing I learned, this is another thing I had to learn over the years, is tall receivers stride length is a trait okay i you know when i first started with tall receivers i watched them and say oh they don't look that fast they're they're not going to be a vertical dimension and i ended up being wrong on guys Hmm. and t higgins is like that he's not a burner but those strides allow him to be a vertical dimension plus then you have the body control and the hands aspect and his ability to high point the ball so even though he may not run by corners in a strict sense um 
he is a vertical dimension. In addition to being very good on the intermediate routes, catching the ball on those inbreakers, I think T. Higgins, and you know, I hate to categorize guys, oh, he's a one, he's a two, but I think T. Higgins on another team would be considered a one. Obviously, Jamar Chase is a true alpha, and there's no alphas in this draft, by the way, at wide receiver. No Jamar Chases, but Jamar Chase is a true alpha, so Higgins sort of, I don't want to say play second fiddle. I'm sure he doesn't in the Cincinnati offense, but he's not considered that because of Chase. But I think if he were with another team, and I'm hoping he's not, I mean, I'm sure Cincinnati fans are hoping the same, but I think if he was with another team, he would be a number one. But I I, I always liked him. I really liked him coming out, and I think we've seen, you know, what he can do in Cincinnati. Look, he puts up 1,000 yards as, although I remember, you know, I remember doing a study last summer and I'm trying to remember specifically, I watched both Chase and Higgins separately. And if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember whether it was first down or third down, but the East had this, the equal number of targets on a particular down. So, they, you know, they throw it to T. It's not like it's Chase and everybody else. You know, Higgins is a major part of what they do in the offense. Well, especially considering what defenses do to try to take away Chase. Yeah, there are clearly times watching tape where you see defenses bracket chase. Um, sometimes they even bracket both. I remember this was two years ago. You may remember the play. It just popped into my head against Baltimore, and I think Higgins caught about a 45-50 yarder on a vertical route where the Ravens actually doubled all three wideouts. Do you happen to remember? The triple-double. The the tri- yeah, you remember the play? <laughs> and and he, and And uh, Burrow threw it to Higgins on a vertical route on the left side, yes. and it went for about 45-50 yards, and Higgins went up and got it between right. two guys. You know, so there was a case where Baltimore doubled all three wide receivers. Right. The Bengals jokingly refer to that as the triple-double. It's a basketball term, but it definitely applied to the defense there. Let's talk tight ends. The Bengals' top three tight ends, Hayden Hurst, Drew Sample, Mitch Wilcox, are all free agents. Somebody's going to be back, but in any case... But it's not going to be a big money thing. It's not a tight end you're going to say is the guy. So I'm sure they're looking for a tight end in this draft. There are some good ones. I haven't done enough work yet, but I've done Kincaid, who is not going to work out at the Combine, I saw. But he's really a good receiver. Um, He's one of those maybe new breed type tight ends. He's more of a detached player. Um, but he's really athletic. I don't want to sit here and say he's Travis Kelsey, but he can be deployed in the same way, meaning that you can detach him from the formation. He can be your boundary X on the backside of trips. He can be deployed in a very similar manner. He's got great hands. He's a really good athlete, and he gives you run after catch. I guess it all depends on, you know, what the the, the Bengals value. You know, obviously they draft later in the first round. I'm not good at, at saying where guys will go. Could Kincaid be there? Sure. And maybe not. You know, um, but there are others. You know, like I said, I haven't done them yet, so I, I can't speak to their specific trades. But I've been told Musgrave is a really good prospect. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. But Michael Mayer. Notre Michael Dame. Mayer. I've done him. I have done him. To me, Mayer is just a really solid tight end. Really good hands. Catches everything. Not as explosive as Kincaid. I think Mayer's just one of those guys that would be a solid NFL tight end. Like, I would, if, if you wanted to, obviously, we always talk about Kelsey. But, like, I don't think Mayer, for instance, is as athletic and as good a receiver as someone like Dallas Goddard. You know, I don't think he's quite that guy. But I think he'd be a really solid, every down tight end. It's great to have a great tight end. The Bengals obviously would like to. But how important is tight end in that offense? Well, the way they, they run it now, and they're a, as you know, they're a heavy 11 personnel offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and just so people understand, that means three wide receivers. Um, 
I think, if I remember correctly, they probably played out of 11 personnel 85% or more of their offensive snaps. So that's who they are. So the tight end, the way they play now, assuming all three receivers are still there, um, he's really much more of a, of a complimentary piece. So they may not feel they need a tight end early. You know, maybe they feel there's a third or fourth round player here that they could get because the tight end in this offense, look, even someone like Hayden Hurst, and I know he made a couple of big catches. He actually made a couple of big catches in the, the playoff win in Buffalo. But, you know, and he, as you said, he's a free agent. But, you know, he's really that, – that position, the way they've played under Burrow the last two years has not really been – critical. Now, the year before, Uzama did make a ton of important catches, and they did go to him at times, but the tight end's not been a volume target for them the last two years. And hard to imagine it would be as long as those three wide receivers stay healthy. So Hayden Hurst is the only starter on offense who is a free agent. They've got several on defense. Jesse Bates, I think everybody assumes he's going to sign elsewhere. Von Bell, Jermaine Pratt, Eli Apple. Is there somebody on that list that you think, man, they really should try to keep that guy? Well, let's put Bates aside because I think it's pretty evident he, he's probably going to get a big number. And I, you know, I mean, you would know better, but from what we've spoken about, you feel like he's probably going to be gone. So let's leave him out for the moment. And he's a very good player. Um, the guy who intrigues me the most, and, and I'm curious to see, I don't think they'll sign him who knows is Jermaine Pratt because obviously Logan Wilson deservedly so gets most of the attention a linebacker a really complete player plays every down you know one of those guys you know he's not Fred Warner but he's he's one of those three down complete linebackers I think Pratt's been a really solid player the last couple of years you know almost one of those guys you don't think about a lot because of Wilson but just a really solid, important piece of that defense. And if he had to be replaced, whether it's with a draft pick or a, a free agent signing, because um, I don't think they would view Davis Gaither as the guy to replace Pratt. Um, he's just not big enough, and you know he's not that guy. Um, I think that that's... I don't want to say, boy, it's a loss and their defense will drop because I think Lou Anaramo does just a ridiculously good job and has finally started to get the credit he deserves. But... I think Pratt's an important piece to that defense, and I don't think he's going to be easy to replace if he's not there. So Lou got a head coaching interview, didn't get the job. Brian Callahan got two head coaching interviews, didn't get either job. The benefit for Cincinnati is they've had incredible continuity during the Zach Taylor era. This will be the fifth straight year with offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinators back. How significant is that? Is that extremely advantageous, in your opinion, for Cincinnati? I think it's so much more advantageous than people think because I think continuity with a coaching staff and being able to build on the concepts that everybody now understands and then has a clear foundation is absolutely critical. I mean, I speak to many coaches, as you know, and they will tell you, particularly, let's say, on offense, that it really takes, and Burrow is obviously super smart, but it still takes three, four years for a quarterback to fully understand and execute both his offense and understand all the defenses in the league. You know, it, 
you can obviously line up and play without that high level understanding but then when you get it you know everything changes it, it's and i bet if you speak to a quarterback and you have i know over the years they'll tell you the same thing that all of a sudden it's different you know and, and burrow is just he's he's a computer chip so for him it probably happens sooner but still i think if he's being honest he'll tell you that the more experience he gets in the same system it just everything is is cleaner you know you hear the phrase in all sports that the game slows down it's a cliche but it's a true cliche and i bet for burrow it's very much like that and all of a sudden if you have to change systems i've had coaches tell me changing systems is like hey if you spend three years in french class okay you're learning every nuance of the language of french and then all of a sudden that's gone and someone comes in and says okay now we have to learn german you know it's not so easy you know and that's what it's like so if you can stay in the same system and keep building i think i'm not sure people realize how truly advantageous that is I was an exchange student in Spain many years ago. Now I can only count to eight, which you shows you my, yeah. <laughs> my retention of foreign right. languages. So the Bengals were a couple of minutes away from winning the Super Bowl two years ago. They were tied with two minutes to go in the AFC Championship game last year. So obviously they're close. It's a Super Bowl caliber roster. What's missing? What do you think they need to improve to get over the top and, and win a Lombardi trophy? Yeah, that's a hard question because when when you're that close, you know, it's not like to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's not as if you're missing something. You know, it's not as if, oh, my God, they lost because they just don't have this. You know, I mean, you know, when, obviously they lost on that final drive against um, the Rams. You know, what are you going to say? You're going to say, okay, their defense stinks. I mean, obviously it doesn't, you know. And then the game against the Chiefs, uh, you know, I don't – I don't know what to say. I mean, these games are super competitive, highly uh, highly close games. You know, I don't think there's anything to say. I mean, I think offensively, I do think they still need to continue to upgrade their O-line, quite honestly. Um, I think they probably need to to draft some players. Maybe they'll bring in a free agent, you know, as a compete guy. But I do think the O-line needs to continue to get better, whether it's with the same players improving or different players. That's for the coaching staff and the organization to figure out. you know, on the defensive side, they're going to lose some pieces. You'd, I hope they they can find a way to keep one of the safeties. Maybe Bell is the more likely choice because he's certainly not going to get the number I think Jesse Bates is going to get. But in today's NFL, to start over with two safeties, I think is hard. Um, so, and Bell to me, I don't know Von Bell at all, but he strikes me as a savvy, smart player who can do a number of things. That's just watching tape. That's the way I feel like, you know, because he's not a superior athlete. You don't look at him and go, wow, there's a special athlete. But he's just one of those guys that, to me, seems like he knows how to play the game and and can probably be tasked with doing a lot of different things. You know, you would know better than I. Perfect description. Okay, That's what the film shows to me. So you'd hope that they could at least sign him. He certainly won't garner the same number as Bates. Um, Because like I said, if you start off with two safeties – that's that's a big deal. That that could pose some issues throughout the early part of the season. Final thing for Greg Cosell. Does the combine amaze you what this thing has become? Nah. <clears throat> well, it's funny you say that because I actually produced the first combine for ah. NFL Films and um, and I guess the network. And and because at that time the combine was still totally secretive, you know. And I'll be the first to admit I did a horrible job because I didn't know how to do it because it was totally secretive. They wouldn't even let us 
shoot anything until after the events were over, and then we had to set up a set on the field at eight o'clock at night. You know, so it was it was really it was hard to do, and I did it poorly, and I was told about it by my bosses. But so now everything is kind of an open book, and but I kind of love you know the thing too that's so impressive is just the athletes and and not just their physical performance, but listening to all these guys speak at the podium. It's, I find that really good. All these guys are so much more poised. They speak well. They're, whether they're coached or not is irrelevant. It, you know, it's good that they're coached then you know, to be the best they can be. But these kids are so savvy, so much smarter. They're really a joy to listen to. Um, you know, I think that's really advanced. That's probably one of the positives of social media. You know, these kids are out there more at a young age, and I think they become more aware and more savvy. Hmm. I'm sure my listeners are saying, don't let them go, don't let them go, keep going, go for another half an hour, but I am going to let you go. It's always a treat to run into you in Indianapolis, and any time I have the opportunity to interview you, it is great. Thank you so much for your time. Dan, always a pleasure, Anytime, Thank you. As I mentioned in that interview, Greg has shared quite a few of his pre-draft scouting reports with me over the years, and for the fun of it, I went back and looked at what he wrote about Jackson Carmen before the draft a couple of years ago. Here goes. Carmen, no doubt, will be seen by some as a guard at the next level, but I believe he projects as a starting tackle in the NFL. There is no question that Carmen must be team and scheme specific, and he will at times struggle on vertical sets with speed off the edge, but he can line up and play tackle in the NFL and be a quality starter. End of quote. Jackson certainly appeared more comfortable at tackle in the playoffs last year than he did at guard the year before. With Lael Collins coming back from his torn ACL, perhaps Greg Cosell's pre-draft scouting report will prove accurate, and Jackson Carmen will be a quality starter at right tackle. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. And by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. Now, time for our second edition of the three-round mock draft with an NFL expert. Here's the concept. When I attended the NFL Combine last week, I had the Pro Football Focus mock draft simulator set up on my laptop, and I invited several NFL experts to make the Bengals picks in the first three rounds while discussing their options. If you've never tried a draft simulator before, it allows you to play Bengals GM for as many rounds of the draft as you want. The simulator begins making picks in order, and then when it's your turn, you will get trade proposals and decide whether you want to wheel and deal or go ahead and pick. It's a good way to get to know the players who are likely to be available when the Bengals are on the clock in late April. On my last podcast, Dane Brugler from The Athletic chose Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks in the first round, Northwestern defensive lineman Atatamiwa Atabare in the second, and Iowa tight end Sam Laporta in the third. He received an A-minus grade from Pro Football Focus. This week's expert is Pete Prisco from CBS Sports. We are doing a mock simulator now with Pete Prisco from CBS Sports. We're going to select the Bengals' first three picks. These are picks 28, 60, and 92. I am about to hit start draft, and the PFF mock draft simulator is quickly racing through the first 27 picks. 
And here we go. All right. The guys just selected, Pete, include Kalaja Kansi, the uh, defensive lineman from Pitt who ran the unbelievable 40 time, wide receiver Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, Nolan Smith, another guy who knocked it out of the park at the combine, offensive lineman Osiris Torrance, Jordan Addison, the wide receiver from uh, USC. So those were the previous five picks. Are you ready to see what's left on the board? I want to see what's left on the board because I don't, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of those guys right there. So let's see. Deontay Banks, Andre Carter, Dalton Kincaid, Tanner McGee. They're not going to take a quarterback. Offensive lineman Anton Harrison, Edge, Will McDonald, Antonio Johnson, a safety from Texas, tight end Luke Musgrave from Ohio or from Oregon State. Mazzy Smith, defensive lineman from Michigan, BJ Ojolari from LSU. Yeah, Anybody intrigued? Yeah, that? yeah. I mean, with the Hurst situation being what it is, I think they need to get a tight end. So let me go back up and based on there, I know I would probably take Dalton Kincaid in that spot. It's probably a little high, but I get it. I understand they need a tight end, so I'm going to take Dalton Kincaid. All right. So Pete Prisco with the 28th pick has selected Utah tight end Dalton Kincaid. Some people have compared him to Travis Kelsey. Not that good, but in terms of the things that he does well. He's got the ability to, to catch the football. I mean, he's going to add another another pass catcher to a team that has a ton of pass catchers. But I think, you know, with what Hurst, I thought Hurst did some good things last year, particularly late in the season. So I think it makes sense to get another tight end. In a deep tight end draft, Dalton Kincaid is considered by many of the draft gurus to be the best receiver. He had 70 catches for 890 yards and eight touchdowns at Utah last year. Kincaid did not work out at the combine because of a small fracture in his back that he suffered late in the season, but his injury did not require surgery. In their latest mock drafts, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay from ESPN and Dane Brugler from The Athletic all have Kincaid going to the Dallas Cowboys at pick number 26, two spots before the Bengals select. Prisco got an A- in round one for that pick. Time to find out who Pete selected next. All right, we are now in the second round, pick number 60. You can take a look at some of the guys that were just selected. Dewan Jones, the mammoth offensive lineman from Ohio State, went two picks before Cincinnati. I would have considered him in that spot because I think he's a big menacing right tackle and I think he'd be good for their team. He's certainly big at 380. Yeah, yeah he's and look, both tackles at Ohio State are good players, but he, he's probably a second rounder, I get it. All right, so now we are looking at the pool of guys that are still available. If you want me to look at any sort of position, let me know. But we are scrolling down some of these names. Andre Carter, Tank Dell, wide receiver, special teamer from Houston, Dayon Henley, linebacker from Washington State, Josh Downs, wide receiver from North Carolina. I tell you what, I think, you know, with the Pratt situation being what it is, I think I'm going to go up to the top and take the linebacker out of Washington State. I think he's a really good player, uh, a nice run-and-chase linebacker who adds some speed to the defense. And you're losing, you know, you're probably going to lose him. I mean, Pratt's a good player. and had a couple good years, and he could, you know, run. So I think I'll take Henley. Dayon Henley is a speedy sideline-to-sideline linebacker who starred last season for Washington State after spending the previous five years at Nevada. The former high school quarterback would be a candidate to replace Jermaine Pratt if Pratt leaves in free agency. Pro Football Focus has Henley ranked 37th on their top 100 and gave Prisco an A for selecting him with the 60th overall pick. Now, let's get to Pete's third and final pick. 
And now the mock simulator is racing through round three to get to pick number 92. And you are now on the clock. By the way, it really pains me not to have an offensive lineman picked in this group so far. So I'm going to keep, look for one of those guys here if I can in the third round. If you can call up the offensive linemen who are available, I'll pick one of those guys. All right, absolutely. So we are now filtering positions and looking for offensive line. You want to start with tackles? Tackles. So the pool includes Blake Freeland from BYU, Luke Massive Haggard guy, from Indiana, Connor Galvin from Baylor, Braden Daniels from Utah, Carter Warren from Pitt, Ryan Hayes from Michigan, Asim Richards from North Carolina, Trevor Reed from Louisville. Let's go to the guards. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, love the none tag. of those I mean, names Freeland, thrilled you. Freeland's intriguing, but... In that scenario, you have a, a, a youngish left tackle. I know Jonah Williams wasn't great last year, but he's he's, he's a younger player. So, Interior there offensive line. Here we go. Okay. Don't love Voorhees. Um, don't love those two guys. Not in that third round for those players. How about let, let's go back to the tackles because I okay. think Freeland is an interesting guy. He's right. a left tackle. He's a massive, massive guy. I mean, he's big. Um you know, held up well at BYU, and you can never have, particularly this team has learned in the last couple of years, you can never have enough offensive linemen. I think you draft a good one in that spot and figure it out from there. So I'll take I'll take Freeland. Blake Freeland from BYU is Pete Prisco's third-round pick, number 90 overall, and now we're about to get your draft. I don't think they're going to like my grade. I bet they don't <laughs> like my grade. PFF never likes anything I do. <laughs> Before we get to the grade, here's the skinny on BYU offensive tackle Blake Freeland. He's 6'8", 302 pounds, and opened eyes at the combine by running the third fastest 40-yard dash of any offensive lineman and setting a new combine record for his position by posting a 37-inch vertical leap. That's better than what wide receivers A.J. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, and Stephon Diggs did at their combines. And again, Freeland weighs... 302 pounds. Blake was a captain and a four-year starter at BYU who played quarterback and tight end in high school. Now, time to find out Pete Prisco's grade for selecting Freeland in round three. Not too bad. Good first and second picks. Did a D-plus on the Blake Freeland pick? Why? What's the explanation on it? Well, they have him 142 on their big board, and you selected him 92, so it would be a value situation. But I, yeah, I went for I went to go get an offensive lineman. I didn't. I'll be honest with you. You you heard me. I had a trouble with the offensive yeah. tackles uh, and the guards. It's not in that spot. I didn't love them, but uh, I love I like my first two picks a lot. Your overall grades a B. B. Yeah. I don't <laughs> love Freeland, but in that spot, I went for the best offensive tackle. I appreciate you doing this. You got a B. Nothing wrong with a B. No. No, but I, I'm an A student. I, that's based on PFF's bad <laughs> grades. <laughs> Blake Freeland's a better pick than that, guys. I bet Joe Burrow would be happy he drafted an offensive lineman. I mean, how many years in a row now? This is two years in a row. And, and the line was okay until they had all the injuries, but it just shows you how fragile that position is. you got to have offensive linemen. And with Lyle Collins coming back from a torn ACL, don't know for sure if he'll be ready for the start of the season, adding a, a top three-round offensive lineman is... Smart football. Yeah, I mean, look, Carmen showed he could play tackle, and he looked much more comfortable playing tackle. So that makes sense. You could shift him over there and play him on the right side, and that'll alleviate some of the problems. But you still have guys get hurt, and you worry about it. So you get a young. It's not like Jonah Williams was Anthony Munoz at left tackle last year either. By the way, <laughs> sorry, Jonah. <laughs> 
You're a good sport, Pete. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. You got it. No problem. More NFL expert mock drafts still to look forward to in the weeks to come. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals, they're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.